Now, I don't know I don't know how we should start this thing. I really don't. I think that is perfect right there. <laughs> that this is yeah. welcome welcome to the podcast. We're starting now. <laughs> yeah, welcome. Welcome to the Bad RG podcast. <laughs> We're going to talk about a thing now. Okay, bye. That was fun talking about that thing. Enjoy the rest of your day. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Remember to scrumble some grimbler. Don't to scrumble the grimbler. <laughs> This podcast brought to you by Squimbase. Uh, Squimbase? <laughs> what the hell is Squimbase? <laughs> yeah, you can build a professional looking webby space for only $29.90. Buy. <laughs> On Squimbase. <laughs> and it's only $29.90. Buy. <laughs> so, for those of you that don't know, if you've never been to a stream with any of the three of us, I'm the Salonium. I am. I'm the chef dude. Uh, people refer to me as Alex because, I mean, that's my name. <laughs> and I'm the bomb ass pizza. So we we're all streamers on Twitch, and we've known each other for a long time. We kind of got together, made bad RNG a thing. Yeah. And decided we wanted to do a podcast with more substance, but whether it'll actually have more substance is questionable. Yeah, I mean, we'll find that out in the next uh, however long. This however is. long it goes. <laughs> yeah insert uh whatever time it is well what we'll do is i'll just record myself saying a bunch of different lengths of time and then we'll just edit that in we're right there so yes <laughs> <laughs> add reactions later yes no i agree over the next 45 minutes <laughs> <laughs> so for the first episode, we obviously one of the ideas we had when we were coming up with the idea of the podcast is we want it to be conversational while still having substance and kind of going over a topic the three of us have thought about quite a bit. And I, I find it kind of ironic, the topic that we chose for our first one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for the first one. For the very first one, we're going to be talking about uh, what makes a good sequel, what doesn't make a good... Sequels in general. Sequels, spinoffs, where you draw the line, and, and, and how you get them to work, why they don't work, whatever. That kind of thing. But it's it's ironic that we're talking about that first. For the first episode, <laughs> yeah. It is it is a bit weird. Now, I gotta say, the first, the first sequel that came to my mind when we were first coming up with the idea of the podcast and what the episodes were going to be... Very first one that came to my mind was Mario Bros. 2 or Super Mario USA, whatever you want to call it. Like, I know some people call it Super Mario USA because of the lost levels. Because of lost levels, yeah. Um, now being released in America and whatnot. But um, that's the one that sticks out to me because I know it's really hot or cold people are with that game and it's it's cuz it's so different than than pretty much anything else the series has ever had. Yeah. For for those that don't know, obviously it was made from Doki Doki Panic and then they kind of reworked the sprites in the Mario and then there you go. Now it's a it, Mario it became game. became a Mario game. Which yeah. a lot of people like especially Americans who have heard the story will say like, "Oh, you know, it's like kind of a fraudulent sequel, something like that." You know, that that sounds a little bit accusatory, but uh it actually had the Mario team working on it. So in a way, like it was, it, it's almost like it was meant to be Mario 2 in a way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I personally, I really enjoyed Mario 2. I thought, I thought it was a really, because of how different it was though. And I feel like a lot of those games went through that growing pain in the NES era. I mean, you think about 
Castlevania 1 to Castlevania 2, Zelda 1 to Zelda mm-hmm. 2. Yeah. Every single one of them was like a huge departure from the original. In to, to mixed results. And then yeah, they kind of come results. back to the what we know now is the formula, like in the third one. Like I think with all those examples, really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um The one I've always defended to like the grave has been Castlevania 2. I actually enjoy that game, but I can see its flaws. Like yeah. if I were to sit down and say, is it a good sequel to Castlevania? No. Because I think the core mechanics of Castlevania are there, but the new mechanics that were implemented were not implemented in the greatest way. Um, and just because it's a, it's not a great sequel doesn't mean it's a bad game. It's just it doesn't fit with with what the first game tried to do. Yeah, it's kind of bad though. Like I'm willing right. to admit <laughs> that it's kind of bad. Like I'm willing to admit it. I just like it. So, it's, it's so what's, okay what's like, like the things. defining part that makes it bad, do you think? Is it like the obtuse kind of secrets in it, or is it the grinding? I think it's a mixture of it, both. It's kind I of think, both. I think the cryptic nature of the game is probably its its biggest offender, because when you're talking about progression in a game and not really having a strong idea of how to progress because of the cryptic nature of it, it really... Like, the grinding can slow down progress, but the cryptic nature can halt progress altogether. Yeah. And I think that's a real big problem, especially if you're, you know, you're trying to sell somebody on a game that was so straightforward the first time. Go through a level, fight a boss, move on. And now it's vastly different to that, which isn't a bad thing, just if it was implemented better, like the, um, I think it's called Castlevania 2 Redacted, when they redid it with the faster screen transitions and they took all the cryptic crap out and were like, hey. Faster text scrolling. And- yeah, faster text scrolling. Changed the dialogue so that it actually told you what you needed to do. It, like, if that were the game in its inception, I think it would have been received a lot better. I, I think this is uh, an idea for a podcast in and of itself. But I think a lot of what that is, is that comes down to the predatory nature of of how certain games present themselves. Right, like if you had a game where you have to, it's it's a 10, 15 hour game, but you have people trying to solve puzzles for fifteen hours and then grind for ten hours, you could sell it as a forty hour experience. Yeah, and I don't know if it was done intentionally that way, but it's definitely from that era of game where they would do that kind of thing intentionally. Think like your early Final Fantasy games, things like that, where you're forced to kind of grind out for several hours in order to pad the length of the game. And it's, it hasn't gone away. It wasn't anything new at the time. It's certainly still around, but... Yeah, In fact, you, some people actually prefer games that have grinding. I, I think that's kind of weird. Uh, you know, different strokes for different folks, but like... I mean, that's what the whole... what That's what World of Warcraft is built on. Yeah, like, like some people actually yeah, want games that have that specifically. Yeah. Like, I'm not... I'm not necessarily opposed to it, but at the same time, like, I do see the problems with it. I, like, the example I always go to when when it comes to that in particular is Final Fantasy IV. The first boss you fight, or, yeah, Final Fantasy IV, Final Fantasy II, America, whatever. Um, in that game, the first boss you fight in it is the Mist Dragon, and the whole thing with the Mist Dragon is partially through it, and they do the same thing in Final Fantasy VII, first boss. Partially through the battle, he turns in the mist. If you attack him, he counterattacks. Final so Fantasy VI as well. Yeah, you have to just sit there and wait. And that doesn't make the battle 
more difficult. It just makes the battle longer for the sake of making it longer. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know that that's a great idea. Well, it's especially bad when you have the uh, the mistranslated text that the guard scorpion has. Attack when its tail's up. Yeah. It's a bad idea. Now, if you're just tuning in, this is our podcast about predatory practices in the gaming industry. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be about 800 hours long. <laughs> yeah. So, loot boxes, am I right? <laughs> oh, boy. That's, Here we go. That we're not. That's a whole other tangent. Yeah, that's a different topic for another day. But Or is it more content for later? Aha, Ooh. 200 IQ. Anyway. You can get that podcast if you pre-order our loot box. <laughs> <laughs> you might get it. There's like a there's like a thirty three percent chance. Yeah, you could also get, get a hideous skin for your character that you'll never use, or a topless picture of me. Mm. Well, you get a, you get a skin for <laughs> you get a skin for somebody that's not on the podcast at all that you never use. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get the Santa skin for PCG. <laughs> There's one. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't going to name drop on the podcast, but well, I PCG got a name drop on. Uh, on shout on, outs. Shout outs to the legend. To the legend, Bumpy Knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, going back to sequels, we were talking the, about sequels. The sequels, <laughs> specifically in like the NES era. Another game that I think of that, interestingly enough, I don't. It's hard to call it a sequel, but it is. Is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to the arcade like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1 had more RPG elements to it like you could play as all four characters right and go through the game and it was insanely difficult because some of the platforming's bad and there's just areas <laughs> of the game like there's an overworld that you could go through and then you go through like little levels to kind of traverse into new areas of the map um and on the overworld map, there's some areas where there's the uh, there's like tanks that come by and they just run you over. Your character dies instantly, and you're like, oh well, now I got to play another one. But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2: The Arcade was just a straight up arcade game, basically ported over, and it was the better game of the two. Just like Turtles in Time, I think was the I it, it, at least in that series of games was like the crowning achievement of what was the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game at that, at least in my opinion, I think Turtles in Time was the best one. I'm not super familiar with the the, the gameography, or the the gaming history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I can't, so I can't really okay. speak to any of that. Yeah, I think you're the expert here. I, I do hear that Turtles in Time is like I've heard, the I've one heard to Turtles play. Turtles in Time is, is, is ultra lit, but uh, I'm not super familiar with that uh, that era of the Turtles. Well, it always felt like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were best suited to be a beat em up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, and that's the thing. The first game was more of a side scrolling platformer mm -hmm. than a uh, beat em up. Like a double dragon type yeah. of. Yeah. Not even, yeah, not even so much double dragon. Like, more like if you. Or Streets of Rage. If you like took. That. The first game is like if you took Zelda 2. And made it a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Right. And then the later ones were more like the Double Dragon mm -hmm. or Streets of Rage. So, so just, what you're saying is the Ninja Turtles are a ripoff of the Battletoads. No. Complete ripoff? <laughs> I, I, like I honestly ripoff. don't know which one came out first. I'm pretty sure the Turtles were out there first. Yeah, I, mean, I know like the, turtles, in general. the Turtles have been in comic books since. Yeah. Like the well, 60s, I mean the so. like the arcade game. Oh, I don't know yeah. if that came out before Battletoads or after. I'm not sure. 
But right. I'm pretty sure the Battletoads was crafted with the idea of like let's make a Ninja Turtles in mind. Yeah, mm. I, I think that was the case. Which is why the Ninja Turtles is a ripoff of Battletoads. Right, obviously. Go but, to your local GameStop and ask for Battletoads. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> don't. Don't do that. That's an old meme. We don't, don't, don't need to bring that back. <laughs> don't ever go to GameStop. Yeah, just don't. <laughs> you can get $3 store credit for your entire library. They've got nothing for you. And that's on sale. Now, here's something I was wondering about for from both of your perspectives that I was thinking about in terms of when we're talking about sequels. Would you consider, like, from Mega Man to Mega Man X a sequel, or are we going to call that just a straight-up, like, spiritual successor? Like, how exactly do we qualify something like that? I, I feel like there's a lot of lot of gray area when it comes to things like that. Uh, I feel like Mega Man X is... it's You kind of have to ask the same question there as you do about the Final Fantasy games, right? Like, when you go from Final Fantasy 2 to Final Fantasy 3, it's a different set of characters... It's a new universe, you know. They they kind of they kind of reset everything, and it's kind of the same way in Mega Man X. And so you kind of have to ask yourself: Well, are the Final Fantasy games all spiritual successors to each other, or are they considered actual sequels? And Final Fantasy yeah. further muddies the waters with that, in that some of their spinoffs are actually sequels to some of the spiritual successors. Talking about like. Dirge of Cerberus, uh, 10 2, 13 2. Um, you got Crisis Core, Crisis which Core, was on PSP. Uh, things like that. You like Those sequels, air quotes, you can't see them, but I'm doing them pretty strongly. Uh, those sequels are more like spin offs, but they feel more like sequels than the actual different numbered entries. Like There's a lot more in common between Final Fantasy VII and Dirge of Cerberus than there is between Final Fantasy VI and VII. So yeah. well, sure, in terms of story, but I, I would say there's a lot more in common gameplay wise between six and seven than seven and Dirge of Cerberus. Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. So like, the, there is that split. Like <laughs> gameplay wise, they are the main series are definitely like sequels, but yeah, the, there's that kind of separation with the the story definitely. Uh, maybe even like a reboot almost. Like I know that wasn't really a thing even at the time, but I, I feel like Mega Man X is is more like a reboot than like a spiritual successor or even a sequel, because they even restarted the the numbering convention. Yeah. I, I guess Mega maybe Man you could X call it like too. a series sequel. Maybe yeah. I could I could I could understand. But that. it does lend to the ambiguous nature. Like at least as far as I can tell. Like when I was thinking about this heading in, mm-hmm. um, I, I was trying to be more like inclusive in concept, where like yeah. you know remakes and reboots and spiritual successors like the there's more to learn i think from those creative processes than if like we we were kind of like what isn't a sequel right yeah right yeah i'm and i'm all about the the inclusiveness because like the more data we have the more we can we can pull from just on like the creative process side of it yeah like for instance like dark souls isn't a sequel to demon souls but, you know, if you've played them, it really feels like yeah, it. Yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is, yeah. You know, it's the reason why, in a lot of ways, we that the classification has become known as, like, the Soulsborne the game. The Soulsborne right. games, yeah. Like, even Bloodborne is, is considered, like, a quote-unquote sequel, even though it's in a completely different yeah. universe. And now people talking about Sekiro as well. Yeah, which is, uh, I believe that is our, our next podcast, so be sure to check that out when that hits stores soon. Uh, pick it up at your at your local Seven Eleven right next to the hot dogs. Don't yes. forget to pre-order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
You get a free loot box. It's got ketchup in it. Mega Man is definitely one of those games that I think about, like, that slowly but surely as each game went on, to a degree, it constantly improved itself. Like, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 2, you felt like a pretty big leap in, you know, just overall improvement. And then from 2 to 3, even more, like, 2 is still personally my favorite but I can see the advancements that were made, like having the charge-up buster, being able to slide. Like, these things were slowly implemented game after game yeah. to keep the core mechanics there, but add a little bit more each time so that the game had new areas that make it more interesting. Now, maybe maybe the bosses aren't as interesting or whatever, however you want to look at it. And that there's, way, that's a, a different story. There's a whole argument for the Mega yeah. Man series. That's, that's a whole other conversation. in terms of just changing the game in a way that I think improved it, Mega Man did it really well from probably two to, five. I think, two to five, two to I'd four. two to five. And After then it kind of fell that, off. It's just like, yeah. yeah, now they were all kind of just the same. And then 11, from everything I've seen with that new system with... Um, so it has, like, this core system where you can either boost up your power or slow down time, and you have so much of that power meter that you can use during right. battles. And I think that's a, Yeah, it's a new resource to use, and I think that's a really interesting idea, adding to the game, giving a new mechanic, because there's, like, areas where it's like a... Um, a scrolling area of the level and you have to get through these like puzzles but if you could slow down time it'll make it a little bit easier for you right. to get through it so it's a nice way of them using it as well because i hate when a game will add new add new ideas into a game but didn't really think of how to implement them cough twilight princess cough <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like Mega Man is like you could you could talk for hours about the Mega Man series and the little improvements it makes on each game. I feel like that lends itself to a wider conversation about sequels in general, though, because generally speaking, what you want in a sequel is for it to take that same core gameplay loop. You want it to take the same gameplay, but add a little bit to it, but not enough that it changes that the the original experience that you're trying to replicate. But you also don't want the exact same experience. So where's that middle ground between like not adding enough new content or new abilities or, or whatever, what have you, and adding too many so that it feels like a different game? And I, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but I, I feel like that's a good starting point. I, I spent some time thinking about that this morning, and, and what I came at was like, well, I was telling you guys earlier, uh, the thesis I sort of came up with here was just like, I don't see like any actual one through line. Like there's no one backbone for like what makes a good sequel. And like, I kind of arrived at that thinking about like in, in like that gradient from like, you know, iterative sequel to like total departure. There's no like good, perfect spot on that chart. You just got it like a good sequel picks its spot and it justifies it. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely very case by case. Mm -hmm. You know, it can't there's no perfect formula as to how to do a sequel. And I th I think that's a great way of putting it where a good sequel picks its spot and then justifies it. Like it it chooses what it wants to do from the outset and then goes about doing that as good as possible or as well as possible whichever stickler for grammar yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it sets out trying to do that as as best as it can 
And I feel like that's that's really what you're looking for out of a sequel. Like even with something like Castlevania Two or Zelda Two, like even if it didn't turn out the way they wanted it to, it, it took the the ideas that it wanted to stick to and it stuck to them. Now, whether or not they were done well, that's more of a, of a subjective type of answer. Yeah, I think that's where the problem came with, you know, Castlevania 2 in particular, because when you look at it, they basically went back to that in 97 when they made Symphony of the Night. They were like, let's do that again. But when they did it, it was done really well. Like everything yeah. was well thought out and well planned where it felt like the first or Two, Simon's Quest wasn't as well thought out as to how can we make these new RPG elements and this new system work as best as it could. Like it was kind of a sort of a proof of concept, but it wasn't really fully fleshed out. It felt like they, they kind of jumped in with both feet and and didn't realize the pool was only about three feet deep. Like yeah, yeah they, they definitely the ankles on the way in. They benefited from experience on Symphony of the Night and actually. Weirdly, the series kind of stuck with the Symphony of the Night formula, and I feel like it became less impactful over time. So that's a good example of where, like, a change was good. Maybe they need to go back to it. Conversely, would Castlevania have had the same effect if you had, like, Mega Man, like, six games of, like, the, you know, the eight-level side-scroller boss at the end of each level thing? I think something might have been lost there. Yeah. I think so. And I think, I think it's weird because... You see, you're, we're seeing it now that sometimes people want to go back, and I think people in some ways long for that now because of the departure from it, which is why I think uh, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon was so well-received because we're so used to seeing they're making Ritual of the Night, but we saw Symphony of the Night, there's Order of Ecclesia, there's Portrait of Ruin, there's so many of those Metroidvania styles that people mm -hmm. are like, can we get a classic Castlevania again? Curse of the Moon filled that void for people, and well, you have you have a whole lot of games going back to a lot of those classic structures. Like you had uh, Hyperlight Drifter a couple years ago that went back to the original Zelda structure. You had Shovel Knight that went back to the original Mega Man structure. Right there. Solonium is wearing a Shovel Knight T-shirt right now. Like we're both Shovel Knight speedrunners. Um, it's speedrunners. I'm speed going to yeah. put a quote around. <laughs> Look, we're both top 50 on the leaderboards. You're a lot higher than I am, but that's besides the point. Uh, <laughs> the, but the point is, there's there are a lot of these these newer developers that are going back to a lot of those older styles. Uh, like Even with something like Binding of Isaac, one of my personal favorite games, that is basically Zelda 1. Yeah. Like Binding of Isaac is basically just Zelda 1. It's it Zelda was, 1 with, like, a roguelike with, element. Yeah, it was, it was a roguelike Zelda 1 with a crying baby and lots of poop. Like, that's... But that's, that we're, we, we find ourselves going back to that simpler time for when, when mechanics were simple and movement was simple, but it was the gameplay itself, like, the gameplay loop was, was the most rewarding part about it. Yeah. Instead of all these gimmicks that they're throwing at you, the slide and the charge buster and... Like the the Metroidvania style exploration and all that. Like we don't, as gamers, we we ask for all these bells and whistles, but at the end of the day, we just want to jump on stuff. For the most, it part. just needs to be good. <laughs> yeah, it just it just needs to be engaging and engrossing. And developers are are they're taking it back to formula, as it were. Like in the past two years, we saw that big trend shift into going back to like the, I was talking about earlier with collectathons. Yeah. 
Uh, Collectathon's kind of made a comeback with uh, ukulele. I don't know. I didn't really... I remember there was a lot of hype around it, but then I didn't hear much about it after it released. But I heard a lot of people talk about A Hat in Time, which was a game I kind of paid attention to on Kickstarter. And I heard a lot of people talking about that game in particular and how well it was done. But Collectathon's kind of made their comeback from, like, the N64 era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they fit nicely with the trend of the the Metroidvanias, which also just have had, like, a fantastic time for, what, the past five, five ten years? years? Yeah. Like, Axiom Verge. Like, big Axiom comeback. Verge, Dead Actually, Cells. Dead Cells. In yeah. comparison, the, uh, the Shovel Knights are really the rarity, the ones that do, like, the level-based, just, like, obstacle course. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's that's interesting that that hasn't caught on as big. I wonder if, if that'll be something that does catch on, or... It'll be interesting to see. I mean, one thing I, I give a lot of credit to Shovel Knight for is, I guess it's not technically a sequel, but I kind of consider each different campaign in Shovel of Hope sort of like a sequel, or a prequel, I guess you'd call it. It depends on the game. Uh, when Like, Spectre of Torment is obviously a prequel. Yeah. And Spectre of Torment. Plague of Shadows is actually concurrent to Shovel Knight. But every one does... Almost the same levels, if you if you have not played it, I strongly urge that you go out and buy Shovel Knight and play it. Yeah, just just go do it. Just stop this right now, leave it on pause, go play all three games, and then come back. And then when when uh, King of Cards comes out, play that as well. Yeah. But pause the, the but, podcast again. Yeah, just restart <laughs> the podcast when that comes out. Yes. Get to this part, pause it. Go play King of Cards and then come back and listen to the rest again. But That's- we're kind of we're kind of like broaching on the opposite of the previous question because we were talking about like how much of a departure is still a sequel uh, yeah. before it becomes like some other classification. But like there there is too close too. Like at what point does it stop being a sequel and starts being like just part of it where it's just episodic content? Looking at you, lost levels. It would like lost levels or like I've been playing the Phoenix Wright games and and like the sec- it's the same game like the menus are the same a lot of the same music is there the same graphics but like you know it works as a sequel because it's, it's more story more iteration and like there it works mm-hmm. yeah but I'm not I'm you know I could see somebody trying the same thing with another series and it just like falling on its face like yeah. feel very I don't know dull or already done you know yeah it's like played out. Almost. Exactly. One not to put too too fine a point on it. <laughs> funny enough, one that I I I enjoyed but not as a sequel would be Metal Gear Solid Five. Because it was it felt like a big departure from what uh Metal Gear Solid was known as and I remember when it came out and you and I were having a conversation about a pizza, it was one of my favorite conversations because your way of describing it was probably one of my favorite descriptions of the game. You were like, this is the best Just Cause game that's not a Just Cause game. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's a great way to put it because it felt more action oriented and it was great at that. It yeah, was it is. really good at that. But just It's something- actually part of like this this latter era Metal Gear Solid that, that came up after 4, I want to say, where you had, or I don't know, did Portable Ops come out before or after 4? I think before I, I think it was before born, but yeah. like that kind of spurred on peace walker and metal gear solid 5 is basically just like a consoleized version of peace walker like kind of to its disadvantage at times yeah 
Like but Peace Walker you're... was designed around the mobile platform, so like it, it was kind of like chopped up into bits. But but they full on jumped the shark after that with with Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Yeah, well th- that's so far. Out. It's even developed by another studio. Yeah, Portable came out first. Portable 2006 came out first. I and so. then 2008 was four. Because actually, uh, you know, I don't want to do- dive too deep into it, but Portable Ops kind of like set some things for Metal Gear Solid Four story things that I feel like really trapped it in and. Made it a, a bit lesser of a game. That's, that, but that's there's every so much metal, shit to go through with that. That's every Metal Gear Solid game, like in a nutshell. Like each one kind of traps its whatever sequels are going to come after it into a certain like story thing. Yeah, kind of. But like, and then they have to write themselves out of it. And I'm, I'm sometimes not sure that, they're just like, we're just not even going to touch it. Yeah, I'm not sure that three suffers from two for that though. Well, so no, I feel like it starts takes after place those 40 first years three. In the past. You know, like there there was some freedom, and I feel like. The series stopped being made after that. Nobody knows anything about any other Metal Gear Solid game. There no. were more games? <laughs> what? More, more games solid? Yeah. MGS? It's... Is that? Oh, boy. What a series. But <laughs> what a like, series. But like Pizza said, like there, there isn't really a good through line. You kind of have to take it on a case-by-case basis and analyze what does and doesn't work in each individual game. Not even, even so much as like an individual series, but an individual like game and how it compares to the one that comes before it and in whatever in applicable case is the one that comes after it. So the tough part with that, because like every game kind of has to justify itself, right? Yeah. But like the thing with a sequel is it's always going to live with the question, but why? Yeah. Like why, why do we have another one? Like it's not a sufficient answer creatively to say because the last one made money, you know, like yeah, that's not a very creative answer. <laughs> but uh, creativity has very little to do with, uh, at least insofar as AAA studios and what they pump out. It has little to do with their decision making, but it has everything to do with their job as critics. Yes. <laughs> so okay. we're going to complain about it and we're going to put them in an unfair position because they put themselves there. You shouldn't have gotten there, bro. Well. Welcome welcome to the ire of our podcast. But why'd you have to make Metal Gear survive? Why'd what? you do it? Why'd you do it? <laughs> Did it need it? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put out an unpopular opinion here, so be prepared. Be prepared for us to get flamed on this or at least me. But I've I've always made the argument, and I hear I hear people say it all the time. Dark Souls Two is a bad game. No, it's not. It may not be exactly what people pictured as the sequel to Dark Souls, but I thought Dark Souls Two is a good game. It's just not my favorite Dark Souls game. Yeah. Well, I don't no, think people I'm... are saying it's a bad game. It's just like they'll they'll start with that qualification. It's a good game, but and then they seem to make the argument that it's a bad game, basically, yeah. well, without see, actually I'm, saying those words. I'm kind of the, the resident Souls fanatic here, so I'll, I'll weigh in on this. I personally enjoyed Dark Souls Two. I thought Dark Souls Two was was a solid game all around. I feel like it tried some different things and failed. But, I mean, Dark Souls did the same thing. Demon Souls did the same thing. There are a lot of games that try things that don't work. It's just much more glaring in a game like Dark Souls 2 because it has to follow, like, one of the... what's become one of the monoliths of of the gaming industry. Well, like, I, every, everything is the Dark Souls of something. Would, like, Dark Souls is the Dark Souls of Dark Souls, but actually it's Dark Souls 2 that's the Dark Souls of the Soulsborne series. Would... Would you say part of and and I'm I'm just wondering, you know, do you think part of the reason why the game has had such a like 
stripped apart base of whether, oh, I love it or I hate it because I know people that are like, oh, it's my favorite. And then others that are like, worst game ever. Mm -hmm. Do you think part of it has to do with, um, oh, my God, I'm forgetting his name. Yes. Him leaving. Yeah. Uh, oh, Miyazaki? Miyazaki leaving for two. No, no I wasn't going to say that at all, actually. I don't think it had much to do with that. I think, I think that was intrinsic to why it departed so much. But, yeah, like, but... I, don't, I don't know that it really... Uh, I think that people attribute a lot of, like, qualitative like things about it to that and i don't i don't think that's really on base it's it was it was different from the first one but it also kind of wasn't like there it kind of took the first one's formula where you had like this open world where you you were free to explore and then it set you on four different paths in the second half of the game where it did the opposite of that where in the beginning of the game you had these four paths you could go down and then it funneled you into this open world kind of area where you can kind of explore freely but I feel like what turned a lot of people off to this game and I I respect your opinion I hope you listen to this because I respect you a lot but I think a lot of it had to do with Matthew Matosis I think Matthew Matosis his critique of it on YouTube really put a lot of bad ideas into people's heads about what that game was trying to do that's not to say that his arguments aren't valid. There, there are certainly a lot of valid criticisms there. But as far as the quality of the game, like he, he's guilty of that exact same thing you said, Pizza, where he says it's not a bad game, but then all his arguments seem to suggest that he actually does think it's a bad game. So yeah, well, I think he also it, it was a framing he used also with Bioshock Infinite, where like he, he kind of couched it in like you got to be prepared that I'm gonna like go further, yeah, because I'm I'm kind of responding to a lot of of accolade, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't know that Dark Souls to ever like had that moment of accolade like Infinite had because no. you know Infinite also came with like such a legacy. Dark Souls came with a legacy, but it was a niche product. Yeah. Like yeah, Bioshock, there's, there's definitely more of a cult following to the Dark yeah. Souls games compared to what Bi- Bioshock was like a game of the year. Yeah. You know, this is what this is. One of the best games. People out still there. put it in their Hall of Fame. Yeah. So like yeah, Infinite they, came on like the shoulder of giants, and yeah. and and, uh, and that benefited it a lot more than it hurt it because people yeah. were kind of like, I'm having a good time, but they weren't really. They just. They, they saw Bioshock on the box and it was like, we're using magic powers. And it's like, but why? It doesn't make any sense in this universe. But what that's a whole other tangent. I Bioshock It actually played. engenders a pl- kind of play that I think is inherently more uncritical compared to Dark Souls, which is like hypercritical, you yeah. know? Yeah. Where everybody has like very like tiny granular opinions about like every little thing in the game. But I, I feel like a lot of the, the hate that Dark Souls 2 gets was kind of... Maybe not started with Matthew Matosis, but it kind of crystallized with that video, where it kind of gave people the words that they were looking for to to describe this game. It, it definitely got reposted a lot. I feel like actually you can see the evolution of his thought process with his later video and kind of what wasn't said. Like he didn't make a Dark Souls three video. He didn't make a Bloodborne video. Like he eventually had to kind of round it all up. Yeah. Because, like, the truth is, these things didn't follow some, like, linear progression to, like, bad and worse or anything. Like, they kind of went all over the map. Yeah, kind of went yeah. all over the place. Which is those games in general. Like, I, I, I've always found it interesting, too, because I've seen people who just, you know, as we were saying, there's a lot, there, there's people out there that'll just, like, the game's no good. It's got 
like, like L- LOL dudes in armor LOL like that's it's 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 not a good game even though it's a good game but it's not a good Dark Souls game and then you talk about everything you dislike about the game and it, it's like well what for me like I love the power stance like yeah, that power was stance. that was such a great addition to the game new game plus was much better in two than mm-hmm. any of the games bonfire aesthetics i the the way that you upgraded your your healing items I feel like that was was huge. It gave them a lot more control. Like you couldn't get twenty Estus or twenty healing flasks right at the beginning of the game. Like you actually had to work for all of that, and you could only have what like seven or eight. Yeah. Like you could never have as many as you could in the previous game, and they they were much more strict about meeting that out and limiting the number of mistakes that you were able to make. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, Dark Souls 2 is the most Dark Souls of the series. It is the Dark Souls of the Soulsborne series. Yeah. <laughs> you really want to put it like that. Like, the Dark thing, Souls 2 is easily the hardest of the game. I think if I had to critique the game, the one thing I, I didn't like, and it might just be my opinion, I felt like the world was a little bit too disjointed. I think that is a topic of conversation for our next podcast. Yeah. I, so uh, there, I do there's think a little, that is a little teaser for it. If you want to know how that conversation finishes... Go to your local 7-Eleven right next to the hot dogs. Right next to the hot dogs. (laughs) I remember being pretty disappointed that you could, like, basically draw the map, like, with lines. And then, like, the third one got even worse about that. Uh, It was basically like a big why, you know? Which is a pretty good question, actually. Yeah, why? Uh, Local 7-Eleven. Why, though? Yeah, check out the local 7-Eleven next to the hot dogs. Next to the hot dogs. You'll get a a loot box. looks oddly like a ketchup packet because it is. It's a ketchup packet. You just get lots of ketchup. <laughs> you ain't getting a podcast out of that. Yeah, no. I, I mean, it would be a very strange one, but you could you could do it if you tried. Just anyway, there's I think there's a, a series that we haven't really touched on as of yet. Well, we talked about it a little bit, but there's there's so many there's so many games that go into it. I feel like it's it's worth its own little segment, and uh, that'd be Legend of Zelda. Legend of Zelda. I feel like there there are a lot of games within that series that vastly differ from the rest of the series in terms of either artistic direction, narrative direction, or mechanics. You start to look at um, like Link's Awakening and Majora's Mask, where they have that massive narrative breach, or breach, whatever the word is, the gulf. This, this, this chasm between what the story that they're trying to tell and the story that the rest of the games are trying to tell. And then you have the massive differences in art direction with like the Wind, Wind Waker, Waker and Twilight Princess. Where Twilight Princess tried to go like hyper realistic with it. I thought that was really interesting, but even Breath of the Wild to a degree kind of like... Breath of the Wild is probably the least Zelda Zelda game out there. I don't know. But it's more like the original. It's more in, like in the that original way, in, in that way that's been talked about so much. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. we all know but there's there's so many games between the original and Breath of the Wild that don't even come close to touching on that kind of thing. Yeah. So, like, you know, the first one was kind of like stretching your legs and, and figuring out what it was. Two was was refining the idea. And then you have your, your quote-unquote golden goose with Link to the Past. Yeah. And then they kind of rode that Link to the Past structure until they were like, uh, didn't didn't we used to make other kinds of games? And so they made Breath of the Wild, which is, it's probably the least Zelda of the entire series, if only because they there was no series when the first one came out. It was impossible to be the least of the series when it was the very first one. But it, it also kind of like is emblematic of the 
maybe the biggest strength of the series in that it's like willing to change. Yeah. And yeah, not sure. just like we're going to iterate, which it did iterate a lot actually. But like if you don't like one game, the next one probably has something for you. Yeah. yeah. There's something there for everybody. Like and even I, even like Skyward Sword had had some redeeming qualities. And that, even that had like the the really colorful play style, the really colorful art style. It had like the flying in it, it's like the whole sky thing. It was kind of reminiscent of Wind Waker, but I think the biggest harm, and and I, I think this is going to be a podcast that we'll do in the future as well. I think the biggest harm to Skyward Sword was the gimmick of the Wii Motion Control. Yeah, the Wii Motion Control is is the downfall of many. Many Wii games. <laughs> like, but, like, let's be honest about that. Yeah, well, I'm that, not sure that's true because I don't think there are that many Wii games. <laughs> there's plenty of them. I I don't have them here right now, but there's plenty of Wii games. But but like actual games, actual, not like the shovel, like not like Fling Smash. <laughs> yeah, or, or like or like uh, what is it, Splatterhouse? Splatterhouse. House of the Dead Two. House of the Dead Two is the best. House. Uh, yeah. Of the Dead. And like. If you go to like the movie theater, <laughs> <laughs> play some play time some, crisis. Play three. some time crisis. Yes. Yeah, some, some... Another series that I cannot believe we haven't talked about it at all. That was like iterative, cha- iterative, iterative changes. Is Jesus. Angry Birds? Yes, Angry Birds. It um, became Hangry Birds, where you had to actually feed the motherfuckers first. <laughs> Sonic. How did we not talk about? Sonic because like, every Sonic game is the same until 3D and then they all get thrown in the trash. Well, no, it's more like they get thrown in a blender. <laughs> from from Sonic 1 to Sonic 2, like there's a huge gap in at least in my opinion as to how they changed the game while still keeping it the same. Like I wouldn't even say I thought Sonic 2 was super similar to the first. I really don't feel like you get that much in the way of like branching off of like the core of the series or like any sort of changes until you get to like Sonic and Knuckles or even like Sonic 3 cuz like two mechanically it didn't have that much different than the first game. Well, I, I mean, you had the addition of Tails which which was a non-issue in most cases. A lot of people didn't use Tails. I mean, if you I guess that's part of the reason why I remember it is I yeah. I remember playing it as a multiplayer experience with my brother. Well, the, the, the level design in 2, I feel like, was much better than it was in the first game. Yeah. Like, 1 was, was very kind of linear. There were, like, two paths. There was the high path and the low path. Whereas in 2, there's a lot of ascending. You're going up a lot, where you have, like, your uh, your aquatic ruin zone and your, like, they, they toyed chemical with plant. It, Chemical mm-hmm. plant. They toyed with it a little bit with Labyrinth Zone in the first game, but Labyrinth Zone was just, it was nightmare fuel for most kids, me included. Like, waiting just for Sonic to drown, fun fact. Fun fact, yeah, but fun fact about that, the only reason that Sonic can drown is because the director of the Sonic the Hedgehog games didn't know that hedgehogs can swim. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Fun fact of the day. The, uh... But I, I do like, like, the spin dash wasn't a thing. Like, that's such a... Yeah, I'll give you spin dash. So but these little things have... got added with it, but I do I do feel like Sonic 2 is kind of like Sonic 1, but more. Yeah. yeah. But then you get into, like, Sonic 3, and you have, like, the, the different kinds of shields, and 
You have, like, you could plug Sonic and Knuckles into it. Yeah. There was different bonus stages. And you could plug 48 into it before it completely falls apart, I think. It's yeah. 48 or 8. It's something. I might be, like, like that's a really big difference, yeah, 8 and 48, yeah. but I don't remember which one it but is whole, to it before the game completely falls apart. But you had so many new things that were added in, in Sonic 3 and Sonic Knuckles, and there are a lot of, like, the more memorable areas are from those games you talk about your casino night mm -hmm. your your oil ocean no not oil they're, ocean they're not, those are both from uh or casino night no it's carnival night carnival, carnival night, is, night from is from three because casino is from casino two is and two. oil oceans two as well yeah 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 right. but you have You're um right. emerald emerald not emerald uh you have the sky sky base the, the sky fortress sky fortress that was also two yeah, because Tails flies you up was, there in the was plane. Was to the fortress or was it the flying battery? Fly, I thought flying battery. Flying battery. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because it has that awesome music. Yeah. You get what the airplane and then it cuts into that. Oh, uh, that. Uh, the, can we just make the rest of the podcast the thirty-minute version of of the flying battery music? Just that for. Or wait, no, flying battery is three. No, flying battery is two. Yeah, hold on, I'm pulling out my phone. That's We're looking. It. At, let's. Frank's actually at a computer. He's gonna. I'm see gonna this. type it into my watch. He's gonna put it into his. Watch. Okay, Siri, flying battery zone. <laughs> flying battery zone is Sonic and Knuckles. Flying battery zone. Mm-hmm. What? Why does it say Sonic Mania? Sonic Mania it's also Sonic was Mania. in Sonic yeah. Mania. Yeah, you're right. The, what was the flying one in, in Sonic 2? Was it the Sky Fortress? It's... It's, it's not the Death Egg, is well, it? Well, there's Sky Chase. Yeah, it's the one after Sky Chase. Death Egg Zone. Hidden Palace Zone. The Hidden Palace Wing is Fortress. Three. Wing Fortress, that's what it was. Wing Fortress. Anyway, so the Sky Fortress in the world of tomorrow. So now that we've satisfied this tangent, um, let's, let's let's talk a little bit about Excite Bike. Um, <laughs> Excite Bike's a great. Bow, 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 no, bow, bow, bow. I don't actually want to talk. I've never actually played Excite Bike, but that was that was a, a thing we were talking about before we started recording. Yes, we were. <laughs> in case you don't know, as motorcycles. Yeah, and it, they're it's kind of exciting. Kind of exciting. I think the biggest problem that Sonic fell into is it made the move to three D. And, you know, the first few games, people tend, like the Sonic Adventure games, people tend to give a pass because, like, it's its first foray in the 3D. They're yeah. not too bad. Animations aside, because they're <laughs> they're hilarious, but they're a mess. <laughs> yeah. But it never got better. No, it just, it's it, like, it, it slowly unlearned how to be a game. Like, some of them <laughs> figured it out. Like, Sonic Colors was a good game. Um, I heard Generations. Generations was, good. was good. Mania was good, but Mania is not even 3D. But it's because I think it's that they figured out what needs to be done in a Sonic 3D game. Now, what what I just got done playing Sonic 06 on stream, and it was a nightmare for me. Um, but I think part of the big problem that I found with Sonic or the Sonic 3D games is. When you start adding puzzle mechanics and all these different things that kind of go against what Sonic is supposed to be, like, Sonic's about going fast. Yeah, you gotta go fast. And then you're like, well, 
let's slow everything down to a complete halt and do this stupid puzzle for 10 minutes. Yeah, how about you slide these blocks around for a while? Yeah, and, <laughs> and I feel like that kind of goes against what it is, and that's why Sonic Generations did so well, because the 3D levels were just basically 3D levels of the 2D style. You're just moving really fast through an area, killing enemies, getting to the end, hitting the goal done yeah that's probably the closest you're gonna get to like doing it right because like the reality is they really fucked themselves over but can we say the f word um no fuck they, it they, <laughs> they they really uh hecked themselves over by <laughs> by making a uh man they really the goofed. Three, like the the temple runner type sonic you know because like there are people that prefer that Sonic now. Yeah. And so, like, you'll always have two ideas of Sonic, and, like, they're always going to try and, like, find the right balance, I guess. Look, yeah. the, the only Sonic that's worth playing are... Spinball? Uh, Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine? I was actually going to go with the Chaos Emerald searches in Sonic Adventure, when you're playing his knuckles, you got to find the pieces oh, of the Chaos Emerald. Oh, and you have to dig through the walls you gotta, and stuff. And they, they have like computers with hints, and it's like, it's near the green light. And you're like, Boop. it's all green lights. What's happening here? And you just have to find it. That That is iconic Sonic right there. The that real is Sonic. We all know what it is. <laughs> it's Big the Cat fishing. Oh, yeah. Come here, Froggy. Froggy. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Froggy, wait. Like, and... I hate myself. For that, and the thing the is, this is what I never understood. When when you look at a series like Mario, I think the when you look at the series of Mario as a whole, it's always been really solid. Like every game is really solid, though some can be pretty uninspired. All the games are good because this is the face of your of your entire franchise of your entire business. This is the face. Mario's the face. It was the face of the industry for the longest time. And then there's Sonic, the face of Sega, and he's had some of the worst Sega games. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, it's always... And it bothers me, because I do like Sonic. I like... I, I really enjoyed one, even though it, it has its flaws. Two, I love. I absolutely adore two. Is two is my jam. Three, I love. Knuckle, actually, Sonic and Knuckles was probably my favorite of the old 2D Sonic games. Now, another unpopular opinion. I I don't know if either of you ever played Sonic R, the racing game. No. But I, I actually, respect myself. I actually love that game. <laughs> <laughs> look, and it's all because of the music. Look, we've talked about this uh, probably about in the last, uh, maybe about a half hour ago. Uh, maybe 20 minutes ago, it's okay to like bad games. It's, Both times it's been me talking about <laughs> bad games. <laughs> I mean, I love bad games, and it's, it's kind of off topic because it wasn't good enough to warrant a sequel, but um, there was a game for the Super Nintendo by the name of Plock. Oh, Plock. And oh, Plock. Plock was, it was like this old like 2D platformer slash adventure game where you played this little red and yellow clay dude and you shot your limbs at enemies. But there were things like if you shot all your limbs, then it would like if it didn't hit any enemies, they would take time to travel back to you. So you could just be hopping on the round, just on the ground, just a torso and a head, like waiting for your limbs to come back. Like you couldn't run. It was the most ridiculous thing. But I loved it. It was so bad, but I loved it. And you know about the biggest benefit to it is it doesn't have to justify being a sequel. No, no. it doesn't. It's, it's just, just some there. weird thing. The thing that I've always thought about is 
you know, and, and we touched on it is basically we know the main driving force behind sequels has been, you know, money. Money. It's basically money. I mean, Mega Man 2 is one of the few that I could think of that wasn't really that because... Uh, there was no money in games back then for the there, most part. Well, Mega Man 1 was kind of a flop. It didn't sell nearly as well as they hoped it would, but the creators wanted to continue making Mega Man 2, but... Basically, Capcom was like, no, we're done with this. It didn't do well. Let's move on to something else. And they, Kaiji and Afune and all, they did. They talked about it in their interview. They were like, well, can we work on it on our own time? And Capcom was like, whatever. Do whatever you want. We don't care. And Sonic or Mega Man 2 became a huge hit. Well, here's a uh, an unpopular opinion about Mega Man 2. The main reason people remember it fondly is because the music is some of the best music in the game. It's that the, title the, screen. That intro the, rocks. The, the, the intro, the title screen, all the level music, the boss music, the gameplay itself. It's okay. It's it's basically Mega Man 1. But the music, it's top notch. Absolutely. Top, top notch. Absolutely. But that I think that, like, it's not far and away better than any of the other Mega Man games in terms of gameplay or level design or enemy design. Like, it's basically just more of the same. You have your disappearing block puzzles. You have your me tools. You have your 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 angry Joes in the mech suits. Like, yeah, there's have, very little to differentiate it's, it from. It's the all first exactly. One. It's all exactly the same except for the music. And three the music, was when they really started to kind of yeah, off and that's add new the, things. The slide and you get the charge shot and what for like. Yes. And they they really started to try to innovate there, and they got lucky that the music for two was so good because three <laughs> might never have come out. If it wasn't for that, then, you know, Mega Man would just be like, aha, remember that game? Remember those? It would be, it's like people would be talking about Mega Man like I'm talking about Plock. It's <laughs> a good point. Um, Thankfully, we don't live in that universe because Mega Man 8 is my favorite. And I think that's an interesting thing is, and, and, and we've talked about that, is that blend of how much... It, obviously, it's on a case-by-case, case, but you have those instances where a game does get a sequel, and I guess the best example I could come up with would be the earlier versions of the Call of Duty games, where it was copy and paste, slap it on, this is Call of Duty 2, it just has updated graphics, but it's essentially the same game. I mean, and, that was like four series at that time. Yeah, and, and, and that's where I think the fan base in a lot of ways started to fall off because everybody kind of saw it was, well, and, and you see it a lot in sports games, but... It became uh, a meme back then, like, oh, here comes another Call of Duty game. Yeah. It's still a meme, but at least this time around, you don't know what exactly you're going to get. Yeah, now they kind of, in a lot of ways, they take what's popular in the genre and they're like, let's put it into ours and... The the one the, the thing I've always given Call of Duty credit for is that they do know how to make a first person shooter. I mean, I don't think oh, anybody yeah. can really deny that. Like no, they they know what they're, they're doing. They're tight. They're good. Like the controls are great. I mean, there are, there's a reason they're still around after 15, 20 years, yeah. and no one's ever heard of Brothers in Arms <laughs> <laughs> or Medal of Honor. Nobody's or, ever or, heard of Spec the Line. Like Spec Ops. Yeah. You no, know, we're not talking about Spec Ops. <sighs> I love that game, but that's top notch. But people don't talk about it, you know. What? Because they're not good enough to get to the end. You get know what's good. a good sequel, and I'm not even joking about. This, oh god! But it sounds hilarious when oh you say god. it. Here we go. Fifty Cent Blood in the Sand. You ever play that game? 
No. It's kind of great. I was... You, you ruined, weren't expecting it. You ruined it. I was trying to give him dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> you had to respond to his question. Like, no, give him, make him deal with that dead air on his own. Look, <laughs> I, I, I would say don't play the original 50 Cent game. Oh, okay. You've, you've, you've swayed me. Play, the, play Blood in the Sand. It's actually a decent game. I can't say that you've swayed me on that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, you got to trust me on that. What you got to do is watch Wouldn't the YouTube Wouldn't it just be 51 Cent? Uh, 51 cent keep the change here is a here's a series that i don't think changed really at all but in some ways it's a good thing that it didn't change and they just came out with a new game was crackdown Crackdown 1, the Crackdown 2 is basically the same game. It's get power-ups, feel like a superhero, blow some shit up, kill people, do whatever. That's that's Crackdown at its core. Yeah. Crackdown 2 was get a bunch of power-ups, be a superhero, <laughs> blow shit up, kill people. Same thing. And 3, from everything I've seen, is get, get power-ups, be a superhero, blow shit up, kill people. There's something in a weird way... There's something about sometimes that's just what you want. Just that lack of structure. Yeah. The, like a true sandbox game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of sandboxes, one of the worst sequels I've ever played, and this is just me personally, because I put a lot of I put a lot of weight on narrative. Right? I, I want the things that I watch or play or, or whatever to have, at the very least, a believable story behind them. You know, even if it's, like, super fantastical, like... You know, you have your your classic, a lizard dragon captured my princess girlfriend, so I gotta go kill a bunch of his henchmen to get him back. I gotta go kill his kids, whatever. Plot of Super Mario World, by the way, you kill Bowser's kids. But when you're talking about like just really bad sequels, for me anyway, you have I have to talk about the uh, infamous two. Because the ending to the first... Now, is that Second Son? Is that what it's no, called? No, Second Son came later, I believe. Okay. I think that's like the third or fourth game in the series. But I'll give you I'll give you a, a rundown. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't played Infamous yet. Um, it's, it's a really fun game. Mechanically, it's it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's very much like an open-world sandbox superhero type game. But your character gets hit by this special kind of bomb... You get these lightning-based superpowers. You try to restore power to the city. And you finally end up confronting the guy who did this to you. You find out it was intentional. And you confront the guy who did this to you. And he's like, I'm you from the future. I couldn't stop this giant monster that rises out of the Gulf of Mexico. Now you have to. And then there's news reports of a monster rising out of the Gulf of Mexico. Roll fucking credits. That's the end of the first game. And I'm like... Are you joking? Like you're going to you're going to change the threat like right at the end of the game and I don't even get to confront this new you that's it's like the worst kind of cliffhanger. It's not like, "Oh, will they or won't they kiss?" It's like, "No, will this monster destroy the entire world?" Like that's the true threat and I'm like, Ehh. "Find out next time." On- yeah, that's exactly what it was. Find and I was like, time, "But no, I can accept that this. if the final scene was literally on the edge of a cliff." That, that I'd be fine with, like some. And your guy would be like, "Don't leave me hanging." <laughs> like some old Thelma and Louise shit. Oh, jeez. Where they just jump off the cliff. 
But that for me was like you just ruined any chance I could, I had of enjoying the sequel just because you didn't give me the opportunity. Like it was basically I don't want to, not false flag. That's not the word I'm thinking of. But it was they they pulled the wool over your eyes. Like they they was intentionally obfuscated from you the true enemy of the series just so they could have that big reveal at the end. But it was just a fucking cop out. It didn't feel organic. It didn't feel natural. It was just. Hey, we're going to convince you to buy the actual game that we wanted you to buy. Yeah, usually something like <laughs> that's that builds really what up it, over time. Yeah. Not so like, I didn't, I didn't play it, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn, and uh, it kind of seems like the problem there is the end of the game is an advertisement for the next game. Yeah, right? that's yeah. exactly. The, the whole game was an advertisement for the next game. It, it felt like, like the the ending was just. Ugh. Anyway, I've I've spent like five minutes talking about this <laughs> PlayStation Two game when we should be talking about all sequels. So, um, uh, Banjo Tooie was a game that existed. It was. I didn't play it. I don't think any I, of us played it. Did you play it? Nope. Did you play it? <laughs> nah. Okay. Well, we've talked about it, so that counts. There it is. It's in uh, there. Yeah, it's in it's in the it's in the logs. You could we could put that on the the podcast tag. So yeah. if anyone searches for Ban- Banjo Tooie. I don't know us. who's looking for Banjo. <laughs> People are looking for everything, man. It's 2019. People are looking on, like they're they, they're finding everything. You can find like Sonic having sex with Tetris pieces online, like, and people are actually Tetraminos. Oh no. Yeah, no, that shit is real, but people are looking for it. Well, then let's get in the the theory crafting then and say that Plock Two is not a game that exists. Now you can put that in the hashtag yeah. too. Plock, right. just put Plock Got Two. It. We're just we're just getting like SEO metadata now. We're just, <laughs> we're just trying to fit as much as possible. Now, yeah. what we need everybody to do while listening is to listen to all the minutes of this podcast, <laughs> every <laughs> single one. Then listen to it again, just, just to, to make verify. sure you didn't miss anything. <laughs> if you could leave this on on your computer while you sleep. Also, don't forget when I told you earlier to pause the podcast and go play Shovel Knight, <laughs> and then come back. Do that again. Like pause it here. Also. Go play, play some more Shovel Knight <laughs> and then come back. But actually, don't pause it. Let it play through, but then start it again at this spot. No, start <laughs> it at the beginning and listen to it again, really. And, and no, just, just, just please listen to us. We're so desperate for attention. And, and remember to, you know, go to our sponsors. What was it? Squambase? Squambase, where you can build a website for 20 by and by and by and and also, don't forget to sign up for our new social media platform, Grimbler. Grimbler. Where you can scrumble all your frims. It is that was the a word hottest. From, that was a word from our sponsors. The hottest social media. That's it. It's so hot that it burned away. It doesn't actually exist anymore. <laughs> it's already gone. <laughs> it's Went already under. gone. You missed it. Fad's it, over. It was bought by the Zuck. He <laughs> owns it now. We got zucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. We got, we got thick zucked. <laughs> I don't even know you. Oh, we are we are falling down the rabbit hole, gentlemen. It usually happens. Yeah. It usually happens at some point. Um, oh man, so good sequels. Could we covered a lot of them? Yeah, we, I mean, we, covered, we touched, and I think we've kind of solidified Pizza's thesis. Pizza's thesis. <laughs> this would be known as Pizza's thesis is that there is no clear through line for a good sequel. It just has to be. A well thought out game. It needs to pick its spot in the series, and it needs to justify it. Yeah, and that's basically all it boils down to. I, I feel like Mario Two is a great example of that. It's super different, but it still very much feels like a Mario game. Yes, 
I guess it's just ironic because uh, one thing that a lot of people complain about, and, and rightly so, it's it's one of those things. There's just no answer to is that like the the top of the industry. This is for movies too. They don't really know what sells, you know. Like it's they're kind of throwing darts, and yeah. like so the theory for them is really let's stick with IP. It's what works. It sells. It's sort of a sure thing. The numbers don't entirely bear that out, but especially for most movies. Most of the time. Most of uh, the time. But, you know, like, it's it's what they're going with is the safe bet, and yet sequels come with expectations, so it's it's sort of like they're setting themselves up for critical issues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like a lot of what it has to do with is, like, there's also the kind of thing we've been seeing going as far back, like, going back to Call of Duty with nomenclature. I feel like nomenclature is important for how how games are named in that, like, you had Call of Duty, they went through, like, it was one, two, three, and then Modern Warfare. Yeah. Because they didn't want people to get, like, oh, Call of Duty 12, like, that would have been a meme. Like, they're up to Black Ops 4, which is actually, like, Call of Duty 14. But that sounds ridiculous. Or they do what they did with the sports games and just name it after the after year. After the year now. That's but let's not. But some sometimes it gets a little bit ridiculous. Like I will always will go back to you have the Xbox, the Xbox 360, the Xbox One. The, the naming convention yeah. is just what they took 359 steps back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's very confusing, and that's one at least I guess. In that specific instance, when it comes to like consoles and stuff like that, I'm I'm okay with it having like an a numbered entry or just a name. Like Nintendo has Nintendo, always yeah. done names. Nintendo it's, nomenclature, know, Nintendo is great. Super Nintendo, uh, N64, GameCube. Well, I Wii feel Wii I feel like the Wii U was kind of a way to like hint at it without directly acknowledging it because it rhymes with Wii too. Yeah. Big brain play right there. Big mm. brain play. Well, but, except no, it ended up being a bad play, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was big brain. Doesn't make it smart. The, but I think it's interesting because we've talked about instances where we feel like a game, in a lot of ways, will kind of take what the first game did, improve upon it, and justify it. But then you have games that are complete at least in my eyes, outliers that I'll put in, I mean, I guess it's not technically a sequel, but I'm putting it in that sequel category, would be Uh-oh. Super Metroid, the Metroid Prime. Metroid Prime is a completely different game from Super Metroid. You got Kind of like the Mega Man X thing. Yes. Like, it's a complete departure into a first-person shooter, but it was done so well while it still kept the essence of what... Metroid was, and I think that's why it did that's, so well. That's uh, that's Nintendo's jump into 3D in general, though. Like pretty much all of their flagship series made really, really good jumps from 2D to 3D. You, like you had, uh, unlike Castlevania, Ocarina of Time, their Super Mario 64. You had uh, completely new IPs in Banjo Kazooie, which was basically just Super Mario 64 if he had a bird on his back. Um, and he was a bear. And he was a bear. I mean, uh-huh. Mario's Mario's a bear. Let's be real. All right. Mario's a he's bear. Not, he's not really confirmed. In, he's not into Peach. He's a bear. He's into Bowser. He's into Bowser. He's got a hairy back and all that. 
something to grab onto. <laughs> anyway, this is getting really but weird. But yeah, the, those but the 3D point ones is, were made at... I feel like the mentality was kind of sequel, though, like at the time. I don't yeah. think that they were thinking like, oh, and then we'll have this other series that's the 2D games. Like that, yeah. That's an idea that came later. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they were known at that time for, for making massive jumps into the 3D environments. Like Nintendo... Like, say what you will about, like, the repetitiveness of their games or just how they keep pumping out Zelda and Mario and Metroid. They and did it that. pretty flawlessly. They, they Across made, the board. They made that transition for the rest of the industry. Like... They showed everyone that it could be done well. Well, one of their, their tricks, I think, and this is something that people, like, complain about, but I, I don't think they realize that they're complaining against something that works, is they don't keep doing it like they wait a little while and they let you you know absence makes the heart grow fond they, yeah. let, it, they let it breathe there, there's not you know like four 3d marios per console like like call of duty yeah you know it's like they wait a while and they work on their other things because like they are just one company with a limited number of development studios so like mm-hmm. you're not going to get four star foxes you're going to get maybe like two tops per generation yeah if, if that. that if that if yeah. that so it's you know i think that that Mario really is helps the only out. series that i think we really really see get multiple and it's not and the thing is it's not even really the same type of game you'll get like a 2d mario you'll get maybe a sports title then you'll right. get the 3d variant and then they shift to the next console by that point I, in fact the one they do a lot of is probably like mario party per platform yeah. like otherwise yeah. like you didn't get multiple platformers on any one console i don't think i think no, no. you didn't you didn't because except you had, the nes yeah, the NES yeah. had one, two, and three, and then you had Super Mario World on Super Nintendo. Sixty-four. Because we had Sunshine Super for Mario. the GameCube, and then you had Galaxy for the Wii. Galaxy Two was for the Wii U, I believe. No, Galaxy I think it was Two on the, was for the Wii as the well. Wii, but uh, it was kind of so. like a a one point five. I think it included the original game, so that's that's sort of an exception here. The that's, that's like the only exception. But then you had Mario Maker for the Wii U. That is such an outlier yeah in such a wonderful way oh yeah i mean and i can't wait for the second one the only thing i wish and and i know this is going off on a tangent but it's well i I can't help it the one thing i wished was a bit more additions of different games like it seems like at least from the trailer that they showed that it's still new super mario bros Mario 3, Mario World, Mario 1. I don't think right. it's New Super Mario Bros. I actually think they took out New Super Mario Bros. and put in uh, 3D World. I don't think it's 3D. I think they added the 3D World elements to the new Super Mario Bros. like side-scrolling style. Mm. Like they added like the cat suit and stuff right, and right, added right. some 3D elements to it. Like See, stuff I never, coming from the background. I never played Mario Maker. So. Oh, I played But I feel like Mario Maker is more of like a like a like a sim like a Sims type game than it is like a Mario. Game. Yeah, it, it it's definitely its own specific yeah. thing. It's like when you would go like if anyone ever played like the old StarCraft like online matchmaking if you ever went into like the the use map settings where it was like uh either like there was like the story based like maps or whatever where you could like level up your character it was like a final fantasy tactics like starcraft map it was it's kind of like that where you take that existing engine and you turn it into something different but the joy wasn't in playing them the joy was in making yeah and the creation that was most of it and you only played it so you could get more stuff to make <laughs> yeah well actually i'd say this one the like mario maker did a good job of like finding ways to compel people to play it you yeah know, with like the different kind of gauntlets you can go through i yeah. will say you and know it, it did 
it did do a lot for the uh, it did a ton for the Mario speedrunning community. Oh, like yeah. Mario oh, yeah. Maker really put that on the map with with like Pooh Bear and Jakku and um but now you have the, like the popularity Panga and all them yeah, and like Pangea, it just Panga, grew that. yeah um glitch cat shout out to all of them yeah yeah you guys are great that's good the whole super mario world rom hack yeah community. The, the whole <laughs> yeah. community carl sagan all of them mm-hmm. just awesome stuff like i i love watching them do like the create like their runs at the gdqs are so much fun to watch when they were doing like the mario maker mm-hmm. they would build the levels and then the others would play them i yeah. thought that was great like the blind runs was great stuff. Yeah, it was it's great, and and I think it's it it really helps like foster that sense of community. Like there are some levels in Mario Maker that are legendary among those those kinds of like the Kaizo like ROM hackers. Yeah, like you have your um what the what was the name of it? P is for pain. P not not P is for pain, but it does have P in it. Oh. <laughs> it has P in it. Um, it was like the very first one. I thought P is for Pain was the first one, and then they did like a P switch one later. I don't remember. I don't remember what the name of it. And it was made by Panga. It was called P Break. P Break. P Break. That's was the what first it was. Yeah, P Break. Yeah, yeah. P is for Pain came later, yeah. I think. But it had right. P Break, which was like one of the very first like Mario Maker like legendary Kaizo levels. Yeah, I remember. Uh, this is like when Mario Maker first came out, and that level released. I was streaming at that time i was streaming on youtube uh, right, and right. somebody sent it to me and they're like yo you should play this and i'm like i fucking suck man <laughs> <laughs> like, i can't do this like, i didn't get past the first jump <laughs> <laughs> but then then we start to get into like when it comes to sequels like this brings us into a whole interesting uh, realm of it and then you start talking about like rom hacks and fan games and things like that you start to get into like the Bashis and like I want to be the guy and like the the Panga World and and all those like the the fan games and do you think we should do an episode on like rom hacks and stuff? I feel like that's that's like an entirely other that's subject. It's so subject. big. But I, in terms of sequels, I feel like that we're kind of leading into that conversation because yeah. that's. I mean, they all pretty much use the SMW engine, like the Super Mario World engine, with uh, what's it called? Lunar, Lunar Lunar Magic. Lunar Magic. Lunar Magic is the is the the hacking tool, but they're all kind of similar, but also all very different. Yes. But they still all use the same game as a as a yeah as a chassis. Because you got that. Uh, I guess the, the 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 way they talk about it is you've got the vanilla, you got the vanilla ROM hacks, and then you got the chocolate. And you got the ROM chocolate, hacks. yeah. And then like I feel like the best ones are kind of like a swirl. Yeah. But I mean, I don't play them. I just I watch them occasionally. I do. I do want. To. I would love to. I, I like. I, I have so many games I want to play right I now. I think though. there's a ROM hack called How to Kaizo. Uh, a Super Mario World one called How to Kaizo, and I think I got it. I got to get my hands <laughs> well, on it. Well, Carl Sagan has a series of levels called Kaizo, Kaizo College, College yeah. on Mario Maker. On Mario I tried Maker. them. I got through a few of them, but yeah, they're tough. It's tough. I have a hard time playing with that big ass freaking pad. The uh, the brick. <laughs> Not even a brick. It's like a. It's a tablet. It's, a it's tablet. like a literal yeah, it's like tablet. It's it, it like Play it's Mario comfortable, but it's weird. I found it surprisingly comfortable for what it is. Yeah, I, I never played with uh, with a Wii U ever, but that's because I like purposely restricting my gaming experience. <laughs> I only play with an Xbox One controller. It makes Civilization super hard. <laughs> yeah, 
Makes a lot. It would make a lot of games pretty difficult. Yeah. Oh, let me play with Donkey Kong. Playing Apex Legends on the PC with controller. <laughs> it does control. Doesn't go too well. My right thumbstick is busted, so I just have to like never ever like look anywhere. I could not tell you, and I don't know if it. I don't know if it's happened to either of you guys. I know both of you speed run pizzas. Speed runs uh, Axiom Verge. Alex obviously runs uh, Shovel Knight. So do I. Have either of you had the controller death yet? Like, uh, my controller's fucked. Yeah. Like <laughs> I I've said that I've had it. <laughs> uh it was probably my mistake, but it, yeah, I yeah, I'll say D-pad's yes, I have. dead. Yeah, my D-pad. D-pad sometimes I get double thrashed. inputs. Yeah, that's double inputs or dropped inputs. Dropped or, inputs. Yeah. That's that's the big thing. But bad diagonals. Yeah, I'm a bad diagonal. Which that's, kill me. That's why I switched uh, off of the 360 controller. Yeah, because that D-pad D-pad's is, awful. D-pad is poopy. D-pad, the poops. And if you're just joining us, this is our podcast about different gaming controllers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, really, I thought the X-Bone controller was a great sequel to a good controller. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. We we, we kept it on Yo, point. The micro switches on the D-pad, that click, oh, oh. Yeah, but if you like, want to talk like about little Chef Kishy fingers right here, <laughs> you want to talk about really bad controllers? The original Xbox controller was like a toaster oven. You want to talk about it? I actually, funny enough, I actually kind of enjoyed the, the original, <laughs> the original with, Xbox with like the four pound jewel in the middle. Yes, I didn't actually, it have two memory card slots in it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, for the, double the saving. It, if I had to sit down it's and a backup pick, save file. If I had to pick the worst controller that I could think of, like, in mainstream, like, obviously we could go off on these off-brand companies and talk about how bad Mad their cats. controllers are, but Mad cats. for me, the Sega Genesis controller is, it's a its a goddamn boomerang. No. Yeah, I'm no, not you super wanna, into it. You want to you talk about awful controllers? There's really only one that, that really should be at the top of that hill. The 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 CDI presentation controller. <laughs> the Wu Tang controller, of course. The Wu Tang. No, Wu Wu is the way, man. Wu is the way. No, I'm talking about that pitchfork monstrosity. Oh, the N64. The N64. The Trident. The Trident. <laughs> How many hands do they think we have? How many times did you? I I had. Yeah, you know what? I think this is as good of a place to end as any. But I have to ask this question: How many blisters did you have on your pl- palm playing Mario Party One? Three, uh, three def- or four. Uh, just and the worst one I T- ever had. Tug of War. Work. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it put me out of commission. Like I, I honestly could not play games for like a week and a half. It hurts so bad. Hurt so That's bad. actually it. Like everybody like trashes the N sixty four controller. I, I think there's good arguments either way. I think it's fine. It just looks stupid, but it's got like distinct different ways to hold it. That's cool. That thumbstick is awful. It is. It is it's terrible. Just the yeah. worst. But guys, I think now yeah, I think, is I think as good a good time as any to end it. Hopefully everybody enjoyed it. I mean, it, I certainly enjoyed making it. Yeah, I definitely did. I think there was some thoughtful discussion and then some some memeing and yeah, then some memeing, some like more of the usual, basically. More of the usual. <laughs> but if you if you want to check us out, uh, we are on Twitch. We are on Twitch. Uh, Twitch.tv uh, slash. Uh, well, we'll let you go the, first. The Salonium. You can find me. Yeah, he d- he does most of the streaming. I I occasionally do it. Um, I am Twitch.tv slash some chef dude. I have a Twitch account <laughs> at the bomb ass pizza. 
He has a Twitch account, he and does. we're all on uh, we're all on social media on Twitter. I think all of our uh, yeah, wherever this gets posted, we'll, we'll probably post a link to our Discord. Yeah, we have a Discord as well. We'll post a link there That's in most the, of the description. Fun um, as to where you can find it, find the podcast. Obviously, we're going to post a link to it. We're trying to get it on like Apple Podcasts. We're going to try to get it on Spotify, Stitcher, stuff like that. Uh, as we get more of it, we'll talk about it more on here as it yeah. gets further and further. But right now, we're just trying to get something out there. Yes. You can dial in and get Check. it from our BBS. Yeah, let's go to the yes. phones. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you, everybody, for listening. And, uh, yeah, whatever time it happens to be, wherever it is you happen to be, I hope you have a good one. Bye-bye now. <laughs>